you seek the key. But first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Right now on Fast, jobs, jobs, jobs. The February ADP report coming in stronger than expected, setting the table for a big number from the Labor Department on Friday. Why the Fed and the markets think this could be the most important data point of the entire year. We mean it this time. Plus, running on empty, troubling signs the EV boom could be hitting a serious speed bump in sales. The stock impact ahead for GM, Ford, and of course, Tesla. Then the U.S. intelligence uh, leaders say China remains the most consequential security threat to our nation. We'll go inside this sobering assessment and how it could impact America's biggest companies. And later, a cryptic tweet from the meme stock king. If Ryan Cohen is saying hello, should you be saying goodbye? Ooh-hoo. I'm Melissa Lee. This is Fast Money. We're live at the Nasdaq Market. We've got a full house here tonight. Tim Seymour, Karen Feinemann, Dan Nathan, and Guy Adami all here on set. And we start off with the countdown to the most important jobs report of the year. Wow. I know we say that a lot, but we really mean it this time around. Friday's report is one of the last economic data points left before the Fed's next decision. And as Jerome Powell said today, the central bank will be closely watching the data to decide how much it will raise rates later this month. We have not made any decision about the March meeting. We're not going to do that until we see the the additional data. The larger point, though, is that we're not on a preset path and that we will be guided by the incoming data and the evolving outlook. Still, investors are increasingly looking for a 50 basis point hike in March. So will Friday's report add more fuel to that fire or can it give the markets some relief here? Guy, what do you think? I think relief is probably the more likely scenario because I think Mm. a lot of the hawkish data, a lot of the very hot data we've seen has probably to a certain extent been baked into the moves we've seen this week. But with all that said, they have a real job to do here. And I think there are, what, two job openings for every one person that's looking for a job, something like that. That does not make their job particularly easy because obviously wages, I think, will continue to move higher. So I think their job is difficult. And I think the market is finally coming to the realization that they do have a hard job. I'll say this quickly. I think in terms of Fed rate hikes, yeah, seventh, eighth inning, I get it. But in terms of the market dealing with and incorporating those Fed rate hikes very early innings. Bottom of the second, if I may, Tim oh, Seymour. Right. But, but he might have said job you might have said jobs like eleven times. And it's not just there's a lot to right, incorporate. Jobs, report, jobs report, good job. job. No, yeah. I mean I think we should uh, people game. there's games people used to play at home. Yeah, you can and when you hear job, do whatever you want to do at home during this telecast. So um, if you think about the negative build up into this jobs number, there's my number mm-hmm. one. You had Fed funds during Powell over the last couple of days. And we, the terminal rate went from 548 to 569. So we priced in a lot of Fed over the last couple of days. We took out any real sense of a cut during 23. It doesn't seem like a huge surprise, that, but it really it had to happen. Uh, the two most important days in the markets over the last six months have been that October 13th CPI and that Feb 2nd jobs number. Um, there's no way this jobs number is going to be as... Um, Uh, emphatic, as important, as cataclysmic as that one was, because I think we priced in all of this Fed stuff going in. So I would also say you err to the downside in terms of where rates go uh, on this payroll number. But 
that those jolts numbers. Guy said it. There's there's more job openings than there are people okay. in this country. There's so no way. Let's play this out. Friday, we get a hot report. We get a report that indicates that there is still strength in the labor market. Is it a buy the news event? I don't think so. I mean, I, I, again, I think as our friend Carter Braxton Worth would say, it's kind of a pair of twos right here. I mean, we really have to see how this shakes out. Guy just said through the lens of the market, right? Well, really, what, what, what is the trends? That, like the, the, how is it going to work into the economy? And that's really the thing right now that I, I guess we should probably focus on because this GDP now, you know, the Atlanta Fed, you know, they, they just saw Q1 GDP shoot up to like 2.8% from I think it was at 2%. We have an economy that for whatever reason has not digested, you know, nearly 5% interest rate hikes in the in the um, Fed funds rate since last March in one year, right? Because we have unemployment at these, what, 40-some-year lows, 53-year lows or something like that, and we have an economy that is just like... We're reopening, too, right? I mean, like, you, you yeah. forget that this was a reopening, and the economy should take some time to hit full capacity. Yeah, and, and so I guess the point is, if we're looking at S&P, you know, this trade about 18 times, and we go over this again and again, it's right around 4,000. I mean, is this the appropriate appropriate level for, you know, the appropriate multiple, and it probably isn't. I mean, I think the bulls will say, listen, maybe the market has discounted whatever weakness we're going to have in the second half of the year. But, I mean, right now, I think the Fed, I think they're telling you what they're going to do is that the economy is too hot, unemployment is too low, they need to see um, the economy cool off a little bit before they can take their foot off the pedal. So I was just thinking, though, looking back at the ADP report in February, they got it really wrong, right? right? So if the market has digested this, you know, hot, hot, hot number. And tomorrow, it's a big, they got it as wrong then, as they got it as wrong now as they did then, then actually we'll see a much cooler employment report. So I don't know, I, I've always been somewhat skeptical of ADP as an indicator. And it doesn't actually matter to the market. Their track record's terrible. What, right, what doesn't actually matter what the actual number is, it's what's the perception, right? Right. And so this moves perception. And so are you getting sort of a free look at, uh, you know, an actual number being, being much better? I don't know. Maybe. So I think bad is priced in already. And maybe you bad being good, bad, right? Bad being too hot of an yeah, economy right. priced That's... in now. If ADP is correct, uh -huh. I am not comfortable saying, yes, ADP is right. always correct. And so um, I think you got kind of a free upside on cooler employment. Well, even beyond the jobs report, we have CPI on Tuesday. Mm -hmm. That is the last. Yes. That's this is the, the penultimate. Most important. The jobs report is penultimate <laughs> in terms of data points. But the CPI is the final uh, data point that we will get. And what has happened in the past month? in terms of energy prices. Some of those inputs Gas have gone prices. higher. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you look at a number of the input, I mean, we talked about the used car market, which we right. rarely talked about over this show's lifetime. We talk about it seemingly every other week now over the last few months, probably correctly so. But those inputs, those variables are starting to trend the wrong way for the Federal Reserve. So if you think magically inflation is going to take care of itself, Think again, meaning again, their job's not done. But if you listen to Jerome Powell, he has basically stated that. What I find puzzling is the market, for whatever reason, is not taking that into consideration nearly enough. Well, what was puzzling to me today is that the semiconductors were up 2.6 percent yeah. and rallied aggressively into the close and now are at over one year relative highs to the S&P. In other words, they have been outperforming the market. They're back to where we were when we were in the go-go days of this market. And, and that's bizarre because everything that we've been seeing everywhere else, both in terms of the equity struggle, where we've been seeing rates go, would indicate that the cyclicality in the market would be under some pressure. There's a lot of reasons we could. It could be geopolitics. It could be clearing out inventory. There's different 
different reasons. We've spent a lot of time talking about semis because they seem to be in the crosshairs of a lot of these conversations. But you, you can't really explain the semiconductors move if you're somebody that believes that there's not cyclicality in the market that hasn't been worked through. It's been very positive. Yeah, I just say this, you know, the last two times um, in the last 20 some years where Fed funds has been above 5%, we had it uh, go above five and then to six um, in 1999. That was the same year that the yield curve inverted. Okay. And then we know what happened in 2000, the stock market topped out. It got cut in half over the next two and a half years. Go back to 2006, uh, the Fed funds got above 5% and it stayed there. I mean, both times it stayed there. Okay. The Fed did what they said they were going to do. They're going to raise interest rates and they're going to keep them there. And we also had an inversion in 2006 of the 210 spread. So here we are again. Okay, it's 2023. We have a yield curve inversion that Nostradamus called. He said it was going to go to one percent. <laughs> it got you. there. Okay, <laughs> and everyone was expecting that recession to happen. Okay, and it hasn't happened yet. It keeps getting right. pushed out here. Okay, but here's the deal. I mean, just think about that, right? So they're going to keep rates above five percent for a while. Something really bad would have to happen for them to change their tune. And you know, they had bad things that happened in two. 2007 and 2008 and back in 2000 into the lows why, in 2002. Why that really bad things have to happen in order for the Fed to change its tune? Why can't it be just that unemployment is higher, that inflation starts to get tamed and they are seeing progress in what they want? To There's see no history the for that. The, the Fed has never been able to, to, to time this thing. The Fed has always overstayed the party. They've always come to the party too fashionably late. So it's just a matter of when it's going to be wrong. Well, I also it's just going to be proven wrong. They're, they're, they're not market participants, even though they are essentially driving the market. I, I just feel as if the delay in terms of the, the, the data they're going to be looking at, he said, we're looking at the entirety of the data today. And, and I, I just don't think there's any evidence that the Fed is going to do this right. I just think, you know, the, the Fed is a, it's a blunt instrument, right? right? It is not a scalpel. So for them to get it absolutely right, I don't even know that that's possible, particularly when you have you have monetary policy and fiscal policy that, you know, is counterproductive mm-hmm. to one another. So I think, I mean, I know hard landing is really in vogue now in the last week or with so. With the inversion. Yes, with the inversion. But I think a, you know, say bumpy to closer to soft is still possible. Well, what is it about this market environment, though, where the bond market can be so definitive mm-hmm. in what it's telegraphing and the stock market remains in this boring range? without it breaking. I think there's still passive investing going on, which clearly does not take into consideration anything that we talk about on a nightly basis. That's part of the equation. I also think that there's market participants trying to front run what they think is inevitable in the back half of this year. A Federal Reserve is going to start to cut. I don't think that's going to happen, but I think there's some thought to that as well. There's also a whole bevy of people that have never seen, and we're included in that group, rate hikes of this magnitude in a short period of time. As I said earlier, I don't think, listen, I think people understand that we're in the late innings of the Fed rate hike cycle, but we're in the early innings of the market and the economy feeling the effects of what's been going on. For more on the Fed's path ahead, let's bring in Roger Ferguson, the former vice chair of the Federal Reserve and a CNBC contributor. Roger, always great to get your take. Um, do you believe what the bond market is, is telegraphing seemingly so definitively? Uh, some yes and some no. So let me be clear about that. The bond market is clearly expecting um, the Fed to continue to raise rates for a period of time. I think that's correct. I think where the bond market is off is uh, in an inversion that is implying uh, a Fed that's going to have to change its tune relatively quickly, i.e. before the end of this year. 
Um, a place where I think the bond market is probably right again is probably I'm in the camp of, you know, a softish uh, uh, landing, um, but maybe, you know, a mild recession uh, risk increasing. So if the bar market is telling us the probability of recession has gone up significantly, I'd say yes, they're right there. So I think the bond market is mainly right, but I think it's getting some of the timing maybe off just a little bit. Roger, the faster and or higher the Fed goes, do you think that that soft landing scenario becomes less probable? Uh, yes, I do. Um, and that is because, you know, it's very hard to judge exactly when you've gone far enough. Uh, I think they recognize that they've put a lot of restraint into the economy relatively quickly, and yet they are continuing to confront a labor market that is very tight, you know, roughly two jobs for every unemployed person. The incoming data have mainly been uh, showing greater resilience and strength. So I think they are in, a, in an interesting dilemma where they've put a lot in and probably still have more to go. And whenever that happens, um, and whenever you move fast and look like you're going to continue to move fast, you don't have time to sort of judge. And the probability of maybe over-tightening by one or two meetings, uh, I think, certainly has to go up. Roger, it's Tim. Thanks for joining us. We've been talking about the pace and the impact of, of the Fed actions. And maybe you can comment on it in terms of how unprecedented this is, both layering into an economy that was effectively reopening after COVID, um, but the, the, the magnitude and the velocity of these rate height moves. And, and yet we haven't really seen it on top of a labor market that, as you just described, is, is structurally uh, strong and will remain strong. So we're all struggling with the pace of this. We all want this to go very fast. Um, your view on how long this could play out? So look, I think um, the Fed has got at least two more moves, and they are struggling at this stage, as Chair Powell said today, between 25 and 50 basis points. I think uh, what the chair signaled, Chairman Powell signaled today, is a higher so-called terminal rate. The market is starting to get its head around the possibility of a number that starts with six. I think that's not impossible. Um, I think they're going to keep rates higher for longer than maybe the market is currently pricing in. Uh, the market is catching up to the fact that probably not a cut this year. Uh, so that's where we are. But it starts with uh, the inputs that are also quite unprecedented. You know, global sh shutting down and then opening after a pandemic. Huge amounts of stimulus everywhere. Uh, the uncertainty of the first war on continental Europe uh, since 1945. So many things that are unprecedented here, and not surprising that one of those things that's unprecedented is the pace at which the Fed has had to move, and also, frankly, at this stage in the cycle, the uncertainty that still remains. Um, the, the Fed officials that who have spoken recently, including, of course, Chair Powell, have certainly gotten across the message to the markets that it will be higher. The longer part, you know, it's a little bit of a question mark here. You speak Fed, Roger. So when you hear longer, does that mean like six months to you? I mean, the, the, we're seeing cuts being priced in for June of next year. That doesn't seem like a very long time, but maybe, maybe in the world of, of Fed officials, that is a long time. What's your take on that? So look, I think the, the question the market is, is trying to come to grips with is, okay, is the Fed willing to uh, risk a recession in order to get inflation under control? I think the Fed is willing to do that. They've talked about so-called pain. They've talked about a bumpy landing, et cetera. 
I think the market is not 100% convinced that the Fed's going to allow us to even have a short and shallow recession in order to get inflation under control. I think the Fed is ready to do that. Having said that, you know, cuts mid part of next year, um, possible, depending on how the incoming data play in. So where I think, you know, where I was disagreeing with the market was an expectation of cuts this year. I thought that was really wrong. The possibility of a cut middle part of next year, uh, the odds are it's possible, but it depends very much on, on the incoming data. I think where the equity markets have been wrong is they keep losing track of the big picture, which is that inflation is still very much what, above what the Fed wants. And they, the equity market keeps getting very optimistic about a turn. I think that's where they've been wrong. The bond market was wrong about a cut this year. I think they may be closer to right about the Fed holding rates high, at least to the middle part of next year. And that's a relatively long period of time. All right. Roger, great to get your take. Thank you. Roger Ferguson. All right. So the question is, how long will the equity markets be wrong for? <laughs> and what will convince the markets that, yeah, it could be a recession, it could be a short and shallow, but it will be a recession. We could see some sort of hard impact on the economy of all this. It's funny. So we talk about earnings a lot. We talk about multiples. We're willing to pay for earnings. And, you know, when we just look at the batch of earnings we just had, I think we, this has been a, a, a thing that we've seen over the last year where expectations come down in the earnings and these companies basically overperform and they don't. It's really been um, there's never been like a massive takedown of the out year guidance. Right. It's been like they guide down just a little bit, not as bad as expected. We rally out of it. If you look at what we just heard from some of these retailers, and a lot of these retailers, and if you think about Walmart, and we were talking about it earlier today, I mean, that stock is breaking down right now. Target has been not so great. The Costco guidance wasn't particularly good. Maybe you want to talk to some of these retailers that have had to deal with these fits and starts with inventories, with a picky consumer, a consumer that's been trading down, a consumer that we know has been loaded up with credit right now, you know, yeah. that sort of thing. And so that's the thing that I think as we kind of get comfortable with higher rates for longer, um, those are like going to be the early spots where we see some of the weakness. And maybe that's what some of that part of the stock market is telling us right now. Meantime, we got a news alert here on Silvergate. The crypto focused bank announcing its intent to wind down operations and voluntarily liquidate. Shares were down as much as 50 percent on the news, now down about 35 and a half percent. Karen, this is a trade that you have been in. Mm hmm. I mean, it's not so shocking, right? It's been happening in slow motion mm -hmm. for a while. And unfortunately, when you have to come out with a release like they had to, I don't know if it was a week or two ago, of we're not certain we're going to, you know. You're going concern? Going concern for a bank, mm -hmm. that is a toxic press release. So it's been happening for a while. It'd be interesting to see if they expect to pay off all deposits. There is this preferred that could potentially have value. I don't know, but uh, I don't know. It's kind of sad. And then I also, you know, people work there and they've built this company over the last, I don't know, 15, 18 years. It, so that, that said, I don't know what will happen to the Silvergate network. Right. Right. We were sort of talked about right. that which, before. Which allowed you to exchange dollars for crypto in real time, basically. Real time. Yeah. Anytime. Right. 24 or 7, 365. Right. Which has really enabled the crypto industry. So there's yes. that whole other side effect of that goes away. Right. And now what happens? And is, that might be good for Signature Bank. I'm not sure. Right. Well, Signature Bank, by the way, which is down in the after hour session on this. Quickly on yeah. Silvergate. Not that we looking to have anybody traded with the current market cap that it's at. But I mean, this was less than a month ago. You asked about when will the market figure it out? Well, Silvergate, to a certain extent, I mean, it's a microcosm from some of the absurdity we see. This was a twenty three dollar stock in the middle of February. Nothing fundamental. 
certain things have changed on the margins. But the story we've seen, as Karen said, it's been slow motion for a while. I only bring that up because back to your question about when will the market figure it out. Well, it figures it out on its own time. But when it figures it out, you see how quickly things can move. Coming up, the chip rip, NVIDIA and the rest of the semi-space bucking today's market malaise. So is there more crunch in this trade? We'll dig in. Plus, get ready for a smackdown of a story, the latest sport to potentially bring betting to its fans. The details when Fast Money returns back in two. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to Fast Money. An earnings alert on MongoDB. The shares of the uh, cloud database company dropping despite a beat on the top and the bottom lines. Company giving weak revenue guidance for the year. Wow. It's kind of what we were just talking about, too. Again, this was a high valuation, high growth company. And um, I, I think that it's that out guidance. And the quarter looks great. You know what I mean? So, um, but again, I mean, what are you willing to pay for decelerating metrics in a high valuation name like this? Yep. Now let's move on to NVIDIA topping the tape. The chip maker up almost 4% today, bringing its 2023 gains to over 65%. It was the stock's highest close since last April. The rest of the sector surging too. On Semi, AMD, LAM Research, KLA, NXP, all up nicely. So can the rip keep rolling? Are we due for a chip dip? It's a little bit of a head <laughs> Yeah. You wrote like that? that? No, you like that. No, no, no. It's, it's too clever for it's me to possibly <laughs> think of that. It's good stuff. Um, but it is a head scratcher if you are in the camp that you think something bad is coming for the economy mm. and that all this hikes are going to hit, you know. It doesn't make sense that we're, we're seeing this. In Taiwan semi-guided, Tim talked about how, you know, the, this is where you want to be. When thing, You say it all the time. When things go from really bad to just bad, that's when you want to own these stocks. And clearly, we've been in that arena. But now I think you're at a point of absurdity, specifically with NVIDIA, which is trading, I want to say, north now of 20 times revenue, north of 60 times forward earnings. I mean, whatever metric you want to look at, this stock went from reasonably priced four, four or five months ago to probably as expensive as it's been in a year and a half, two years at, at current levels. So what are you wishing for? If it's a whole AI thing, as Dan would say, knock yourself out. But go back and look at that report because under the surface, some of their core businesses didn't do nearly as well as they should have. Qualcomm, by the way, also raising its dividend today, helping the group as well. Karen, where do you stand here? Uh, well, I think Guy's last point is a really good one. Mm-hmm. GPT sort of, right? Chat GPT right. kind of got this sector on fire again, and it still seems to be on fire. Yeah. And I don't know when that's going to that's going to fade. I am long Nvidia. I sold some poorly. I'm inclined to sell some more. I mean, this has been a lot priced in. 
But and I'm short NVIDIA. I'm shorted from 237 last week, and I'm not too worried. You know, none of this worries me here based upon the valuation, based upon the fact that the CEO in the earnings call pointed out that we think our software will be the operating system for AI. Uh, and and ChatGPT is something that actually will material change our 23. I, you know, I, I don't think those were irresponsible comments, but I think those were comments that we've heard also around crypto and also what we've heard around gaming. And anytime there's been an opportunity to find a fad in markets. Um, did you just raise your hand? I feel like you don't need to do that. I, 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 I feel like this new format is like, you know, we're all... You just needed to shut me up. Um, Got it. No, but I mean, did we see a, a commensurate bust in NVIDIA when crypto went bust or commensurate bust in NVIDIA when, when gaming didn't pan out to be the hot, hot thing. I'm just, I'm just trying to like work this out in terms of AI. Maybe it's possible that it can ride it a little bit, but not be really punished on the back. We haven't seen anything close to a bust at all yeah. in NVIDIA, nor should we. But I hear what you're saying. There's been kind of a delayed reaction when crypto started right. to fall out of bed. Semis were falling out of bed for different reasons, and I think it was just the high multiple factor of the market. And, and again, longer duration equities that you're banking on the future. There's a lot more Fast Money to come. Here's what's coming up next. Top picks for the VIX. The options action on volatility as markets continue to swing. The details on that one next. Plus, EV come, EV go. Price cuts and production stalls. Throw your hazards on. We're checking on the electric issues ahead. You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money. The VIX dropping below 19 and a half in a mixed day for stocks. So one options trader is betting that this volatility pullback could be the calm before the storm. Amber's Group co-chief investment officer Chris Sidiel joins us with the action. Chris, what did you see today? Hey, how's it going? Uh, yeah, so I think one thing that's really interesting is when you look at the VVIX, the VVIX is a, is a very general way to measure the level of volatility on the VIX. And when you compare the levels that it's at today to 2017, uh, it becomes really intriguing because 2017 was a time where VIX was trading at 11. One month realized uh, vol was around four. Uh, so to see the VIX so low in a time or VVX so low in a time like today compared to 2017, it's really, really uh, fascinating. So I think market participants such as myself started to become really interested in this low level of VIX fall. Um, and yesterday we saw a large buyer of uh, a couple of call spreads come in. So you see the May 30 by 32, the June 32 by 34, the July 34 by 36, and a little bit over 200,000 contracts. And what they did was they, they really broke down the strip, right? So they hit the May, the June, the July line uh, to really avoid that sort of timing risk that, that generally comes when you're long volatility, right? I think the other interesting part about this is that during uh, January, we saw the same sort of market participant come in and buy a June 30 by 40 call spread in, in pretty large size. So it becomes something for other market participants to take a look at because 
this isn't a hedge, right? The spread is too tight. This isn't really a, a trade that has a lot of convexity to it. It's really an outsized uh, individual bet that's really what, uh, seeking to pay off 15 to 1 if if it hits. So I, I'd say in the time of a lot of macro uncertainty, it, it's it's a pretty uh, pretty outright pretty outright bet there. Hey, Chris, there's been a lot of talk about zero days to expiration options. Um, are you concerned about the notional values that are trading in the markets these days? There's some people who are really concerned from a market structure standpoint that the, the, that sort of trading intraday and a, large, a lot of it's large institutional um, is something that um, is not being reflected in these levels in the VIX. Yeah, Dan, you know me. I'm going to rant on this because uh, it, it was something that we did a ton of work on for the last two years. You know, we've been kind of preaching this and we have a ton of research on our site over at ambersgroup.com um, that that really talks about the reflexive implications of these zero DTE options and, and the growth of the derivatives market and the derivatives ecosystem as a whole. I know JP Morgan kind of came out with that note saying that they think that this could lead to a down 25% day. Our, our view is not that extreme. But it is something that other market participants have to be aware of because this sort of uh, leverage convexity uh, does have reflexive implications because of the dealers hedging that type of risk. So I'd say that you know if you're playing in the options market, that's something that you do have to be aware of. Chris, thanks. Good to see you. Chris Sidiel of Ambrus. For more options action, be sure to tune into the full show. That's Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Coming up, EV inconvenience, production issues and price cuts hitting the electric car makers. So is it time to unplug? We're hitting that group next. And lawmakers meeting today over global threats facing the U.S. Why it's not just TikTok causing concern, the deeper divide that could be brewing when fast money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Another check in the market. Stocks closing near the flat line after some big swings throughout the session. The Dow down more than 50 points, well off the lows of the day. The S&P up about a tenth of a percent and the Nasdaq climbing nearly half a percent. Shares of WWE jumping late in today's session after our own Alex Sherman reported the company has held talks with state gambling regulators to legalize betting on scripted match results. What? <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I, I read that and, and it occurred to me that how ridiculous it sounds. It's scripted and people are going to bet yeah. on it. But okay. Um, <laughs> you can get more on that story when Alex joins a premiere of Last Call with Brian Sullivan right on. tonight. That is 7 p.m. Eastern time right here on CNBC. Um, I'm tuning in. Did Brian wrestle? Was he? Was he? I mean, <laughs> I back feel in like the day, I feel like he. Tune in at 7 o'clock and find I, out. If anyone's going to cover this story, it's Brian. So, yeah. It's awesome. Do you get this betting on the Of course script? not. I mean, I grew up in a time when you used to bet on a sport called high lie without getting into great detail. <laughs> but a bunch of dudes with these long things and throwing a ball against the wall. I mean, you talk about totally a rigged, rigged sport. Yes, but people bet <laughs> on it. This, they tell you it's rigged, and you're telling me they're going to be able to bet on this? I guess you don't know how the script Milford ends. High lie. Right, but somebody right. does. Somebody does. Somebody Who is does. likely free right, to exactly. bet? Well, wouldn't the wrestlers kind of know, too? And if isn't that the kind of risk that, that they know? I would know? think that it's Fraught. Isn't this yeah, material right. non-public information? Exactly. They I mean, should start a, a fund. And yeah, NMPA. Right. They should the wrestlers can start a fund. Right. I'm really good at knowing how this is going to happen. I know guy <laughs> off the top turnbuckle coming is down. taking Dan down. No, no, right. first, I know first things first. Guy used to throw dice in like the alleys back that's in the true. day. Like, What's like, wrong that's what he did. That was clean living yeah. back in You know who we should ask, of course, is Mike Coe, who was in a Coco former life, Coco Beware. Anyway, we digress. Yeah, a little bit. Very, very As we do. But you'll hear 
much more on this story on Last Call with Brian. I'm watching. Okay, let's move on, shall we? Is the electric vehicle trend losing its spark? GM's high-profile EV models are reportedly facing production delays. GMC's Hummer and the Cadillac Lyric models are rolling out slower than expected, roughly a dozen a day. That's well below initial targets. And Ford has slashed the price of its Mustang Mach-E electric model in China by 40,000 yuan. That's about a six, uh, 6,000 U.S. dollars. It, it seems much harder than we all thought it was going to be when everybody announced grand plans to ramp up EV and, and take Tesla's share, Karen. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, I own GM, and GM absolutely falls in that camp. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, we had heard at one point, I think, an all-EV lineup by 2025, I think, was the very, very earliest one. And now, of course, that that's delayed. And we get to this issue again of, is this a sale delayed or a sale denied? And at some point... It's denied. It's denied. I really, I think so. And um, Mary Barra, who I think is fantastic, has really staked her career here. She's been there 10 years. She's, you know, she's the mastermind of this turnaround. They keep pushing it back. It was going to be now the second half of this year. So if they don't ramp production meaningfully, I think this is going to be very difficult for her. But I am staying long GM. So the Lyric, GM sold... Like it's about like, thousand. Yeah, it's an SUV. Its direct competitor is what in the Tesla lineup? Well, the ones that they just cut their the prices one, for it for the second time. Well, in three yeah, months. but they but Tesla sold two hundred fifty-two thousand of so them. So here, here's year. the thing, and you guys know where I'm coming from because I'm just you know I'm, I'm short. Yeah, well, I'm short of this. There's no risk to GM and Ford delaying this. This is happening for them. They don't have a choice, but they don't have to go at the sort of speed that a Tesla or some of these upstart um, EVs have to because they have capital constraints. The risk here, if this is a price war that only gets made worse by issues with China, okay, and potentially a recession in the back half of this year here, then if this is a price war, then Tesla's earnings are expected to be down 2% this year, and their margins are going from 25.5% last year to expected to be 22%. This is a disaster for them. But, but all of those things that you just mentioned also hit the legacy automakers. Okay, so go short them at three times sales right, I mean, or earnings. Or I, I mean, I, I'm just saying like... This is but, the competition that Tesla faces, which is part of the bear case, that Tesla has all this competition Not really, coming. because they have to continue to work towards their targets over the next five to seven years, whereas Tesla keeps putting out ridiculous targets every year. I think part of this for everybody is also the supply of EV battery cells. And if you think about what's, I mean, part of what GM's announcement was, it's a slower rollout. It's not, it's not going to happen. Um, I'm long GM. Uh, I have a smaller position in Ford. Uh, GM I can sleep on at night based upon how profitable and EBITDA positive this company has been. Ford just got done telling you that they're still trying to work out inefficiencies in their core business model that they haven't figured out for years. So um, I I don't love that, but GM should totally trade at a premium. And GM, to me, is a very well-run company that will get there. Yeah. 0.3. Yeah. Real quick, and the technicals in Tesla, I mean, it traded right up effectively to 200-day moving average. 220-ish, right before our very eyes. That stock traded 180 on the screws today. 165, I think, is the level it gets to. Then you can make your decisions from there, but it feels like it's a little more downside to me. Coming up, TikTok taking center stage on the Hill today. So what could it all mean for everyone's favorite addictive viral video app? We'll bring you the details next. And throughout March, we are celebrating women's heritage. Here's the president of Regent Cruise Lines. My advice to women is to follow what you love. Find that true passion in life and work in that industry. What I've found to be really successful throughout my career is I've always looked for ways to challenge myself, really push myself outside of my comfort zone, think out of the box and learn new things. And of course, as a mother of two young kids, 
I'm always juggling, whether it's at work or at home. Finding that work-life balance is always gonna be a struggle, but having a really strong support system in place will do wonders. And at the end of the day, you own your journey. So make sure you go after what you want. The future is yours. Welcome back to Fast Money. Lawmakers meeting on Capitol Hill today to address the threat posed by China to national security. TikTok was one of the hot topics, but for the intel community, there are a host of other reasons why they see China as, quote, our most consequential threat. Eamon Javers has got more on this. Eamon. Hey there, Melissa. You're right. TikTok was one of the bigger flashpoints in today's hearing. But the senators and the leaders of the intelligence community also seem concerned by the degree to which American investors have been financing the rise of China's economy. Now, TikTok's threats and surveillance and data collection are well understood. But Senator Marco Rubio also wanted to talk to the FBI director, Chris Wray, about the Chinese app's massive propaganda potential. Take a look. Could they use it to drive narratives, uh, like to divide Americans against each other? For example, let's say China wants to invade Taiwan to make sure that Americans are seeing videos arguing why Taiwan belongs to China and why the U.S. should not intervene. Yes, and I would make the point on that last one in particular that we're not sure that we would see many of the outward signs of it happening if it was happening. Now, the chairman of the committee, Senator Mark Warner, accused American companies of turning a blind eye to massive Chinese theft of intellectual property because American companies right now are simply making too much money to complain about all this. And Senator John Cornyn had this to say. For many years, American businesses have been investing in China. We had a witness that um, testified last May, I think it was, that the current market value of U.S. investments in China uh, were worth $2.3 trillion. In other words, Americans, American investment in China has been financing the rise of China's economy and the rise of their military might. Now, just based on the tone of this hearing, you'd think at least some kind of federal action against TikTok is likely to come from these lawmakers in the days to come. And there also seems to be more appetite to just scrutinize, regulate, or even block certain American venture capital and private equity firms from investing in a wide range of tech sectors in China, Melissa. Amen. It's, it's interesting because this has been going on for year, for decades yep. since, you know, American companies first went into China, that this is seen as the cost of doing business in China to lose some of your IP. And it didn't make a difference because China didn't have the technology to actually do something with that IP. But maybe yep. now it's it's a lot different. I mean, is there anything to believe that now something will actually be done, seeing that this has been an ongoing problem. Well, there's been talk for a while now of a Biden administration executive order on capital outflows, that is investments from American private equity firms and venture capital firms into China, regulating those in some way beyond just sort of the military sensitive stuff that we normally think about as being controlled investment uh, to looking at a wider range of things like quantum computing, biotech, mm -hmm. all sorts of other sectors. That's one possibility. But I I tell you, the mood in Washington has changed. We saw these hearings on Capitol Hill last week focused on the China threat. The entire consensus of the past 30 years has really broken down. The consensus was, you know, if you invest in China, you'll make China more like the United States. You'll build up a middle class. There'll be more freedom. They'll be more like us. Uh, the reality, a lot of lawmakers have concluded, is that investing in China makes us maybe a little bit more like them. Amen. Thank you. Amen. Javers in Washington for us. 
So the next step would be any company that is built in any way on growth in China. There's a question mark over that at this point. Well, it's amazing that we haven't seen Apple, which is outperforming the mega cap techs. If there's one company that I think falls in the right. tech sector, um, takes on Huawei. I mean, it, all of the things that Apple is should be, it should have a target on its back. Um, I think in the last week, we've ratcheted up the, the rhetoric in a way that, that even I don't think we've seen in the last couple of years, including China's foreign minister, um, basically restating a quote from Xi Jinping that unless the U.S. changes course, we're on a path to confrontation. We haven't heard this before. Um, and, you know, Inspur being banned and put on the export control list by, you know, there's a lot of different things going on. I just say investing in EM still is all about investing in, about the dollar. And the dollar's up 5% in the last month and EM's down 10. That's more important than China right now. Yeah. Um, you know, speaking of China, activist investor Ryan Cohen, mm. he's exposed to China now, right? He, he tweeted out today in Chinese, hello. 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 That's what it says. Oh, look at him, multilingual. Well, Google, I'll give you. I'll give that. him a hello. <laughs> hello to his announcement, and I think January 26. Please don't add me if I'm off by a day. In Alibaba. In Alibaba. Right. Look at where the stock was trading that day. 118. Look at where the stock is trading today. And what did we say on the show that night? We said nobody rings the bell at the top. We said that. However, Other than him. we think Ryan Cohen just did. And yeah. as it turns out, that was somewhat prescient. There's a C in that word, by the way. Yes. Yeah. C like China. Yeah. Coming up, talk about a buzzkill. Shares of cannabis company truly going up in smoke after this morning's earnings report. We're breaking down the quarter with CEO Kim Rivers. That's next. Much more Fast Money in two. Welcome back. Potsock Trulieve tumbling today after reporting an earnings miss for its latest quarter. The company, though, did post record revenue for the year, coming in at more than $1.2 billion in 2022. That's a 32% increase from the prior year. CEO Kim Rivers joins us now with more on the results. Kim, great to see you again. Oh, great to see you as well. As I understand it, there's some inventory issues that still need to be worked out, and that, that is putting some pressure on margins. And I'm wondering, you know, we, we've heard that from the likes of Target and Walmart. <laughs> so I guess maybe cannabis is, is, is not an exception there. But how long will that take to work out, and, and how will you unload that inventory? Yeah, I mean, I think for us, it's a little bit different in that we had a very large scale facility come online um, during this year. And so we ran uh, production capacity in parallel for a little while while we got the kinks worked out of that of that facility, um, which is now coming online at a significantly lower cost per gram, which will flow through into this next year. Our plan is to be at a normalized uh, state by the end of uh, 2023. Florida has always been at the heart of the True Leaf story, Kim, and, and a lot of analysts are saying that 2023 is going to be a setup for 2024. So what can you tell us in terms of what you're expecting and how this new facility that you're betting on is going to come online and, and help 2024? Yeah, I mean, so we've got a lot of moving parts across all of our markets um, in Florida in particular, where we have leading uh, market share in retail presence. What we're seeing, and again, indicative of what we're seeing in consumer patterns across the board is we are seeing one customer retention, which is a great, great news as we go through this, uh, this cycle, uh, given the macro pressure. Uh, we're seeing increased traffic, but pressure on basket. And so we're seeing c consumers trade down. Um, so from mid tier primarily into into our value segment. And um, we do have, of course, a number of offerings that Values, so we are able to meet them where they are. Um, but what that's doing is it's pressuring top line. So you know, we indicated we we think that you know Q1, for example, will be down, call it mid single digits. And um, but again, that customer retention number for us, which has been holding strong at 75, 76 percent, is key um, as we come out of 
what may be, maybe not a recession here. And as we see some relief on that wallet with a reminder that we're a cash only business, um, we, we expect to be set up nicely for that next phase of growth. In 2024, we've been investing in a ballot initiative in Florida. Um, we've passed the million raw signature count um, of 890,000 validated signatures that are required for recreational or adult use to be on the ballot in 2024. Um, what that would do for the state of Florida is we would anticipate that that would be approximately a $6 billion market with 138 million tourists and 21 million residents um, in our home state. So we're set up very nicely. As I mentioned, we've got that capacity that's coming online at that lower, mm -hmm. uh, lower cost per gram, along with um, well over 100 store locations in, in Florida. Kim, good to see you. Thanks. Kim Rivers, Thanks. True Leave. Tim, quickly, what's the trade here? Well, True Leave's got the highest operating cash flow, one of them in the industry. This is an industry that is going through some painful times on capital markets and access to capital. One of the great inconsistencies, and if any of this is, is overcome in the next 18 months, and I think this could come from the White House, it doesn't require legislation, it's the inconsistency. The taxation in the sector is absurd. Um, you can't legalize it and still treat it like it's a Schedule One, and that these drugs should not be served. So tough time for cannabis companies, but I tell you, True Leave and a handful of the others are making it through. Up next, final trades. I know you know this, but just a reminder, do not miss CNBC's newest show, Last Call with Brian Sullivan, premiering tonight, 7 p.m. Eastern time, right here on CNBC. Wish Brian the best of luck for this first He doesn't show. need it. He's he going to kill it. He's, he's going to kill it. And he's got a great producing staff. Max, Max Myers. Founding producer of Fast Money. Yeah, is the grand poobah on that show. All right, time for the final trade. Let's go around the horn. Tim. Good luck, Sully. Good luck, Max. Altria does not need good luck. It's a great stock to own in this time. Chairwoman. Same, wishing the best for Max and Brian. Um, mine is Uber. I like tonight's release that they are looking possibly to sell the freight business. It's been losing money. Focus on what's earning money. Dan? Uh, yeah, last call. Um, I'm watching tonight. Uh, CME Group, first time uh, I bought it since that report a month ago. Great report. Uh, it broke out of a four-month range, so I added to it today. There was no enthusiasm. Yeah, last call. I'm watching. I am watching last call tonight. As enthusiastic yeah. as Dan did. Well, I'm going to get a little enthusiastic yeah, good, because Sully is our collective friend, as yeah, is his team. Max yep. found me. For the OA. I'm sorry to hear that. Um, HCA, Melms, breaking out here. Mad Money is next. Last call at 7. See you tomorrow. From pit lane to podium, the Las Vegas Grand Prix is providing fans a race day experience at the speed they deserve. With the help of T-Mobile for Business, our 5G advanced network solutions are powering race day operations with event-wide connectivity. From streamlined gate entry to an immersive app, giving fans blazing fast access to the sport they love. This is accelerating innovation. This is the Las Vegas Grand Prix with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now.